from the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. At the start of the year, a city councilman in Florida named Joseph Citro crafted a proposal. A resolution that would support a transition of the city of Tampa to 100% clean energy by 2030. It was non-binding, aspirational, and really not that uncommon. Nearly 200 cities across America have vowed to get 100% of their electricity from zero-carbon resources. But Citro's included something that was more controversial. It not only supported a transition to clean energy by 2030, but it also said we support a ban on new fossil fuel infrastructure and also a ban on expansions of existing fossil fuel infrastructure. This language caused a panic within the local gas utility, and that panic made its way to the state's Republican lawmakers. So he is ready to introduce this resolution. He's kind of finished revising it. But then at the state level, a senator, Travis Hudson, introduces a bill to the legislature that would have made this resolution illegal. And when this bill is first introduced, it's really broad. It basically would prohibit local governments from regulating the construction of any energy infrastructure. So everything from solar to natural gas power plants. And The bill is kind of pinned on Tampa very quickly. There's a political story where Travis Hudson is quoted saying he introduced this because he heard that Tampa was trying to ban gas stations, which they they didn't include as part of, you know, the idea to ban fossil fuel infrastructure. The pushback caused yet more panic. The Democratic mayor's office got involved. They had their own climate plan, which was less controversial. An aide texted the councilman asking him to abandon his resolution. And I I would like to read this quote because I think it's pretty telling. Um, She writes, You don't want your resolution to be the impetus to overturn decades of sustainability work in cities across the state. And currently, Tampa is being blamed for it. So they were scared. Yeah. I mean, to me, it sounds like they thought that if he withdrew this resolution, that maybe the bills would go away. And that's not what happened. That is not what happened. It it actually, it gets worse. (laughs) This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. Cities around America are considering how to phase out fossil fuels, but powerful utilities and Republican lawmakers are doing everything they can to stop them. This week, what Florida tells us about the new front in the conflict over climate policy. Faced with the surge of distributed energy resources, electric cars, and grid constraints, utilities are ramping up dynamic pricing. But the results are mixed. If utilities don't implement rates correctly or transparently, it could be a major roadblock for the energy transition and a headache for customers. On June 13th, Latitude Media and GridX will host a frontier forum to examine the imperative of good rate design and the consequences of getting it wrong. Register at the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com events. Emily Pontecorvo is a national climate reporter for Grist. So I report a lot on kind of emerging energy technologies. I report on net zero pledges and what they mean and how good their their pledges are as well. This is a pretty exciting topic to cover right now. Local climate policy is shifting to reflect the urgency of the climate math. Basically, if we don't want to cook the planet, every new machine we put in the world— Power plants, heavy trucks, cars, heating and cooling systems needs to run on zero-carbon energy. 
Many cities are taking this seriously. In our last episode, we told the story about how Ithaca, New York is trying to electrify and decarbonize every one of its buildings. And a lot of other cities are now considering or passing bans on new fossil gas connections in their buildings. You know, over the past couple of years, there's been a kind of new trend in local climate action where we've seen, starting with the city of Berkeley in 2019, we've seen cities start to prevent the growth of natural gas in homes and buildings. And since then, this has grown, I think now, something like 50 cities in California have passed similar laws and cities in Massachusetts have considered these kinds of laws, New York City, um, Seattle. The physics are not controversial, but the politics are intensifying. 2021 was the year it all came to a head. And that brings us to Joseph Citro's resolution, which included language on phasing out new gas connections in buildings. Again, it was non-binding, but it scared the local investor-owned utility Tampa Electric, also known as Tico. So Tico did what a lot of other gas utilities are doing. It used its lobbying power and money to launch a more aggressive counter-strike. So um, about a week later, another bill is introduced by Travis Hudson at the state legislature. And this one basically prohibits local governments from limiting what types of fuels or what types of sources of energy that utilities can use or deliver to customers. So this one specifically targets like something like a 100% renewable energy pledge. It's saying Tampa can't tell the electric company what types of fuels they can use. And that's when Republican lawmakers stepped in to argue the gas industry's case, introducing multiple bills to preempt efforts, even symbolic ones like the resolution in Tampa. It feels like people have been sort of whispering in these legislators' ears because they also bring up other talking points like the ban on gas stations that was passed in a city in Petaluma, California. And what I want to make sure that we we do is to keep gas stations in place because we have consumers out there that, that drive gas cars. And I don't want a local government to just automatically say no gas stations uh, and, and take that choice away from that consumer. So that's the effectiveness of what we're trying to do in this bill. There's a really telling interaction in the House of Representatives where Josie Tomkow, who is a um, Florida rep who also introduced the the House version of these bills. And there's some of her Democratic colleagues are asking her, you know, what is the reason for these bills? Like, why are you introducing them? So is there currently cities implementing bans on this? Yes, we have seen Tampa, Miami, and Pinellas Park. Are they bans or resolutions? So she says... I don't know the specifics. I know there has been a resolution specifically in Tampa, um, but this is a piece of legislation that is very important because the state of Florida needs to have a utility grid and a reliable source of energy. We are saying that we do not want them to go through and eliminate a source of energy. Um, So they're really laying the blame on Tampa for kind of being the reason this, this bill needs to pass. The bills passed, and in June, Governor Ron DeSantis signed them into law. One would preempt any bans on gasoline refueling stations, and another would prevent all local governments across Florida from restricting any source of energy from utilities. 
one of the environmental advocates that I spoke with in Tampa who was involved in the re- resolution, she thought that these bills were likely already on the docket, that they had been planning to introduce them and just kind of using Tampa as the, the impetus for that. All around the country, there's a pattern emerging. Cities step up to pass strong local laws to decarbonize, gas industry trade groups swoop in with pre-written legislation to cut it down, and Republican lawmakers introduce it. So what we're seeing is now in at least 20 states account is at, including Florida, we've seen bills that preempt local governments from taking different kinds of climate action. In, in most cases, these bills specifically target local laws that limit the use of natural gas in buildings. And in many cases, they have very similar language. You know, past reporting from other outlets like NPR have found the fingerprints of the natural gas industry behind these bills. Emily and her co-authors on this story got access to emails and campaign donations data through a watchdog called the Energy and Policy Institute. They showed direct and indirect campaign funds from Tampa Electric to the Republican lawmakers who supported these laws. These laws were focused on gas, but the impact could stretch well beyond gas. In addition to kind of preventing local governments from doing anything with natural gas in buildings, they also seem to have implications for renewable energy um, and just kind of the entire energy system in general. Coming up after the break, the gas industry's influence campaign and the potential collateral damage to clean energy. Mark your calendars for June 13th at noon Eastern. That's when Latitude Media and GridX will host a live interactive discussion on implementing modern utility rates. Dynamic rates are vital for motivating customers to electrify, adopt DERs, and embrace demand flexibility. Utility rates could make or break the energy transition. So how do we do it right? Join Latitude Media's Stephen Lacey, GridX CCO Scott Ingstrom, and economist Ahmad Faruqi for an in-depth discussion on the future of rates on June 13th. Register for free by clicking the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com slash events. What did you find when you dug into the local utilities involvement in these legislative efforts? What we found in Florida was there was a money trail between the Tampa Electric Company and Travis Hudson. So Tico, Tampa Electric Company, funneled about $15,000 to him like right before this um, legislative session and kind of as he was working on these bills. Tico also had six registered lobbyists on the bills. And we obtained public records through the Energy and Policy Institute, which is a sort of watchdog of utilities and how they're blocking climate action all over the country. And there were a set of internal emails from a municipally owned gas utility in Clearwater, Florida. And this was really interesting. Basically, these internal emails had the executive director of this utility referring to the bills that Hudson had introduced and saying, you know, this is the bill that Florida Natural Gas Association is championing. Their public affairs manager at Clearwater Gas said she would donate to her senator's re-election campaign if he gets it through. So this is just sort of like internal dialogue at this gas company about these bills and how they're supporting them. And then Kind of one step beyond that, there were also older emails from around 2019 where these same figures were sort of looking at this pattern of 
kind of local climate action happening all over the country. They had seen an agenda from um, the U.S. Conference of Mayors that had a bunch of kind of draft resolutions that cities around the country could use if they wanted to pursue climate action. And in response to the agenda, they're saying, you know, utilities need to aggressively present our stance on these local goals and on keeping natural gas in the mix. And we need to kind of use the same tactics that environmental groups are using. There's another consequence to this legislation in Florida. It's so broad that many fear that it will stifle renewable energy promotion policies as well. What are the potential unintended consequences? Yeah, so it stems from the language in the legislation, and this is specifically the bill that had to do with the types of fuel sources that utilities can use. And it says in the bill that a local government essentially cannot take any action that restricts or prohibits or has the effect of restricting or prohibiting the types or fuel sources of energy production that can be used. And so this language, um, or has the effect of, it just leaves so much leeway for interpretation. And so some of the folks that I spoke with in Florida were worried that that, you know, so many different things could be interpreted as having the effect of restricting the use of natural gas, for example. Like if you had a program where you were incentivizing the use of solar, rooftop solar, maybe that could be seen as having the effect of restricting the use of natural gas at the local power plant. It's just very broad. And and when it first was introduced, people really didn't know how it was going to be interpreted. So why is TECO in particular so against these bans? What is it specifically doing that it's it's afraid that we'll get derailed? Well, so recently TECO has been investing in new natural gas power plants. So they have um, a, a major coal plant called Big Bend in Florida and Tampa, and they're in the process of converting part of that plant to run on natural gas. So I think this is in, this is true of many utilities around the country where we're seeing a utility set a big climate plan, like a net zero climate plan, but their plan includes burning natural gas for decades to come. And in part, it's because many of them are invested in these very long-lived natural gas assets that they don't want to have to retire early. And so I think that's part of what was playing into it with TECO. So this is not just about one resolution. This is an existential threat that these gas and electric utilities are starting to grapple with. And, and that's why they're being so aggressive on these local efforts all around the country. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it, it, it totally makes sense, right? Like the gas industry, that's their product. Like if we are moving away from natural gas, then they are going out of business. It's, it is an existential threat to them. And you know, in some cases, we're seeing gas companies say that they can, you know, stay in the mix in the future. They can deliver lower carbon gases through the same system like renewable natural gas or hydrogen, clean hydrogen. It's up for debate, I think, whether that is a realistic possibility. There's research showing that there may not be enough renewable natural gas to serve the <laughs> serve people at the level that natural gas does today. 
It's also unclear if we can produce enough clean hydrogen for that task or whether we can deliver it through the same system without spending lots of money replacing pipelines. So they're really trying to present a case that they can stay in the mix in the future, but it's not looking totally clear. Now that there's kind of a growing awareness, not only of the emissions impact of natural gas and sort of the impacts of methane leaks in the natural gas system, but also that our buildings and using natural gas at home is such a big part of this picture. I think they're really scared. I think that once burning natural gas in your house becomes unacceptable, they're, they've lost their social license to operate. And they don't really have a plan to transition. They don't really have kind of solid ground to stand on when it comes to what could be next for them. Since those bans on bans passed in Florida, Councilman Citro actually did reintroduce his green resolution he dropped earlier this year. But the mention on fossil fuel infrastructure was gone, and the conflict has spread to other cities. Just last month, the Tampa Bay Times reported on a TECO pressure campaign in Miami that resulted in that city pulling back on aspirations to phase out fossil fuels. And as more cities craft laws to meet the reality of climate science, those battle lines are sure to expand. This to me feels like a pretty solid win from the fossil fuel industry. At this point, th these kinds of laws have passed in more than 20 states. And I'm really not sure what's, you know, cities, I don't think there's a lot that they can do to kind of work around them. I mean, as long as these legislatures are controlled by Republicans who are not interested in climate action, I, I think it really ties the hands of local governments to tackle emissions. Emily Pontecorvo is a reporter for Grist. She did not join us beachside in Florida. Rather, she joined us from the mountains of Jackson, Wyoming. It's kind of an unusual place to be a climate reporter, I guess, but that's where I've been based for the past two years. Emily's reporting was part of a collaboration between Grist and Brendan Rivers at Adapt Florida. It was also in partnership with the environmental news collaborative Floodlight. Speaking of partnerships, The Carbon Copy is a co-production of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Our producers are Jamie Kaiser, Dalvin Ambuaje, and Daniel Waldorf. Sean Marquand mixed the episode and composed our theme song. Original music came from Sean Marquand, Echo Finch, and Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks a lot to the Canary team. And uh, we've got another podcast we are producing in partnership with Canary. It's called Catalyst with Shale Khan. You can find it at canarymedia.com or any podcast app. Thanks for joining us. Be back here next week. I'm Stephen Lacey. Mm -hmm.